Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to do it by looking at Matthew 18. So, I've opened up the chat room. I see people logging on uh, with their phones in the queue, and so I hope everybody can hear me. And so, anyway, this morning we did Matthew uh, 17, and we've done Matthew 16 in the past, but uh, one of the things people don't really understand is that, uh, and we'll see this coming up in Matthew, uh, that's what I'm trying to give everybody a heads up. I tell people what we're going to be studying in the chapters to come, make mention of it early on. And uh, right now we're going to go through 18. We may look back a little bit at 17 and 16 as we go through 18. But uh, the reality is, is that uh, the kingdom of heaven they they were they had the same thing we want to we want to know who's with our little group and we want to form this little group and and really this desire to do this is a very dangerous thing the desire to have that group th- that you have your group paul talks about this you know baptized by this one baptized by that uh Jesus talks about it, and, and like I said, they'll come up in Matthew where they'll say, there are people casting out demons and they're not with us. They're not in our group. And Jesus says, if they're not against us, they're with us. Because you have to remember that the congregations were free assemblies. Now, they were well organized. They were so well organized. This is one of the biggest fears that the Roman emperors had concerning Christians, as well as the Senate and other people in power, was the fact that they were so well organized. Right now, the United States government is spending a lot of resources following people that just went to Washington, D.C. during January 6th. And I, I knew they would be paranoid this way. You know, that's, if you live in darkness, you're paranoid about everything. You're afraid of everything because you live in darkness. But they're actually following around people who just went to Washington, D.C. around January 6th. Because, well, they're trying to find somebody doing something wrong so that they can point to them so that nobody will see the guys who are really doing all the stuff wrong. And uh, they're, they're paranoid. They're, they're virtually schizophrenic. This is common with sociopaths. And uh, the, there's a lot of sociopaths in power. But, of course, the system we have created, the legal charity system we have created, breeds sociopaths. Because there's n- nothing more selfish than a sociopath. And uh, this is what legal charity breeds. This is how you become a perfect savage. You know, when you become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others. There's all kinds of people out there who claim to be Christians. And they're absolutely dependent upon other people. And the men who exercise authority one over the other and take away from their neighbor. You know, force their neighbor to pay tribute so that they can have free stuff. 
And, and we talked about it this morning, you know, that when the, the guy came up to Peter and, and wanted to know if, uh, if Peter, his master, paid the tax. Does your, does your ma- master pay the tax? And, and it describes the guy in the King James Bible when they were in Capernaum that they that received the tribute money. But the word therefore received is very specifically the word that means to take. <laughs> they don't just receive. I, if, if somebody sent me donations, I receive it. <laughs> I may take it of them as they offer it, but I don't stick my hand in their pocket and get it out. That You know you're not in the kingdom of God if your ministers are sticking their hands in your pocket and taking out what they want. <laughs> you know that's not the kingdom. Because the kingdom of God very specifically operated on faith, hope, and charity. The kingdoms of the world... Not so much. They operated on force and fear. And uh, they, in order to really make people afraid, they needed to uh, create a receptacle in your heart for fear. And they did that mostly with legal charity. Now, legal charity breeds fear. That's why Christ said so much, even the Old Testament, fear not. But legal charity breeds fear because it's the unrighteous rewards that breed fear and anxiety and confusion. And and we've been doing it for a hundred years. Now, exactly how we do that, well, we talk about that in other places. But you're, you're in a lot of trouble because the people don't really believe in the gospel of the kingdom. They read the Bible. And they may go to church or they may not go to church. But they do not really believe what Christ said. As a matter of fact, you can tell them what Christ said and they say, Is that in the Bible? I don't remember that in the Bible. <laughs> and and now I've been putting together, every week, I put together these uh, kind of template footnotes. That when we talk about, you know, in my name. I mean, there's like a hundred places in the Bible where it says, in my name. And I could put all those quotes in my name, you know, in a footnote. I don't, I didn't do it. I only put like 10 in. But they're, they're kind of critical and, you know, I took one from one gospel and then some from, I think Isaiah and, and other places in the Bible, Exodus, in my name. What does that mean? And so, by taking all those quotes, I'm showing you. You know, liberty. How many times is liberty mentioned in the Bible? A lot more time than you know, because the word that you can translate into liberty, they don't always translate into liberty. They translate it into other things, like power. They'll take the word that means liberty, and they'll translate it into power. But, of course, I'm not saying that's wrong. But somebody who's telling you what the gospel is saying, what the, the, the particular, whether it's Paul or Jesus is saying, if they didn't translate it liberty, but translate it to power, you could mislead people with that. Now, if the people were really listening to the Holy Spirit, they would not be so easily misled. And they would say, like, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't seem right. 
And if they are doers of the word and they're following the Holy Spirit, they'll go and check and find out, oh, that isn't right. That isn't what that word means. Not power in the sense that I, or authority. They'll translate it as authority in some Bibles. But it actually means, it does mean power. Liberty is power. The power to choose is the liberty to choose. So liberty can mean power. But power can mean all kinds of things. So if you throw in power there, you're steering the people and their thinking in a particular direction. They do this all the time. And, and I, I, you know, I could criticize the King James Bible, and I do from time to time, but it was a valiant attempt under the conditions that they were doing it. Because you have to remember the guys who had translated the Bible shortly before that for the king at the king's request got their tongue cut out and were burned at the stake. (laughs) So evidently they translated something wrong. (laughs) They're under a lot of pressure. But we're all under a lot of pressure but the pressure should be to listen to the Holy Spirit. And this is the critical part of the message that I want to share with everybody. I'm going to tell you what I see what I think, what I found. I'll share it to you, with you for free on these broadcasts. But the reality is, you got to do what you think is right in a given moment, at a given time. Uh, you know, I said I was going to do something. I was going to work on it. And I have been working on it. But I couldn't do it yet. I couldn't publish what I had been working on yet. Every time I went to do it, Something held me back because ultimately I am serving God because that's who I said yes to first. So if somebody asks me to do something else and I say, well, yeah, I've got to work on that and uh, I got to do that. And I did work on it and worked on it and kept going back to it and something kept saying, wait, no, something wrong. And this happens all the time. This I'm just thinking of this particular one because I got an email recently concerning this very thing that I was thinking about. Although, uh, I just had a conversation in the last day or so with people, the same thing, where somebody said, yeah, I'm with you, I'm for you, I'm supporting this and everything. And something in me said, no, they're not. No, I didn't, I didn't treat them any different. But when it came to doing certain things, I could not do it. I just had somebody very close to me come and ask me about, we need to address this. And they're absolutely right. We need to address this. Our, our, our flesh and blood mind tells us that we need to address that. I had that conversation even this morning again with somebody else. But ultimately, how do you know what to do and when to do it? Because when to do it can be as important as what to do. You have to do it in according to the timing. I don't know when the best time is, but I know God does. And I want to submit to his guidance. I want all you to submit to his guidance. So I'm going to tell you a lot of things that we're going to go across, come across in Matthew 18. And uh, you can take it for what it's worth and see if you can't figure out what that means in your life. Because... Everything that you hear coming out of my voice over this radio broadcast or podcast or whenever you get a chance to listen to it, that's that's information 
That's knowledge. That's straight out of the tree of knowledge. But the knowledge I choose to put on the air, I hope, is based on the inspiration that God says, share this knowledge with them, but don't share that knowledge. Because Christ is very specific. Earlier we saw that where he's saying, is given unto you to know, but it's not given unto them. So what can I share with you? And what should I not share with you? And that is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. But what I'm sharing with you in the realm of information is just knowledge. It's just information. And it doesn't tell you. It's not. When you hear it, it's not inspiration yet. It might have been inspiration to me to say it. But you're not hearing exactly what I'm saying. This is in every conversation. You talk to somebody and you, you, you mention God. You mention the kingdom. You mention government. You mention authority. You mention power. You mention liberty. You mention all these words. Every single one of those words are going to be received slightly different than you're thinking. Because it's going from your mouth into somebody else's ear into their head. Now, they may know exactly what you're talking about. Very rarely does that actually take place. They know basically what you're saying. They might even be able to repeat it back to you word for word. But they may not know exactly what you mean by that. Somebody says, I love you. What does that mean? Well, it means they love you. But what does love mean? I mean, how many different definitions, how many different perceptions of love are there. So this is why we have conversations. This is why we interact. Is to see if we can constantly redefine or define more clearly what it is we're actually trying to say, what we're trying to communicate to others. Since the fall of the Tower of Babylon, language has been confusing. And so now we're talking about things hard to understand. Because like Paul... We're going a little bit deeper into things. So, your challenge, I'm challenged. Ultimately, what's going to get us into one accord is to be in one accord with the Holy Spirit. And just as, you know, I don't, I don't lock anybody in, you know, I don't take oaths that I will have this finished by such and such a day, that I will publish this by such and such a day. I, I can't do that because God may say, I don't want you to let that go now. And we see instructions like that from Christ all the time. We just saw it in 17 where he says, don't tell anybody what you just saw in relationship to the transfiguration. Don't tell anybody until after the Son of Man is put to death and raised again. Then you can tell. He did the same thing with healings. Don't tell anybody. Or go and tell just this person. So there are instructions like that. And and we also see there are instructions like that, and the guy didn't follow the instructions. <laughs> but that's on his head. What you have to do is allow the freedom of choice to everybody else around you. Except when their choice may harm somebody, you may come to their defense, harm you, harm themselves. You know, so you can interfere But generally speaking, you want to err on the side of liberty for everybody else. And this is one of the problems with legal charity. 
is it takes away the right of choice to other people. That guy who was taking the donations in verse, in chapter 17, taking the tribute, which are donations, they're just compulsory donations. Taxes are compulsory donations. There are virtually no compulsory or almost zilch compulsory donations in the kingdom of God. And even those few compulsory donations can be waived. And you say, well, what what compulsory donations? Well, originally there was a kind of anti-up tax, which amounted to like a dime or something or half dime, where you said, I'm in. And they had a similar tax in, in, like we said this morning, in Rome. And it was burning incense. You would go through the ritual of burning incense at one of the temples and proclaim that Caesar was the son of God. Uh, Roman citizens were expected to do that. And somebody would record that they did this. And that was their ante up. It was a small amount of money. But once they anteed up, now there would be men who would come to their house and say, where's the tribute you owe? <laughs> but Rome was clever. They put most of the tribute on foreign countries and excise and tariff taxes as well. Or they just annihilated thousands or millions of people and stole all their gold and this funded the government. America is what they do is they, they're plundering you with borrowing money and giving it away to communists and fascists and, and Nazis in other countries. Yeah, I mean, what, what America is doing in the Ukraine is a crime. It's a war crime. They're, they're getting Thousands and thousands and thousands of Ukrainians killed because they insisted upon putting NATO weapons in the Ukraine. They could have said, no, we're going to abide by our earlier treaties and not do that. I mean, we had treaties that said that we wouldn't do that because we accepted the terms when the Soviet Union released the Ukraine. We accepted the, the terms. That, that we wouldn't put NATO people right in there. And, and of course, that was that's the way we would, you know, if they were putting nuclear weapons in Cuba, we would say, no, you can't do that. If, we, if they were putting missile bases in Cuba, they'd say, no, no, you can't do that. We're not going to let you do that. And that's what we did. That could, so, But it's okay for us to do that in Ukraine. We have numerous biological laboratories run and funded by the United States. I mean, numerous ones. I don't know how many altogether. I was going down counting several of them, more than several, that were doing biological experiments with what appears to be, you know, enhancement of of uh, genomes, of viruses or whatever, and uh, testing on Ukrainians from these laboratories. All that's covered up. We're not getting that in the media. But all that's being c- covered up. I mean, there are people that are investigating and stuff is coming out. And you say, well, that's not proven. Well, you're not trying to prove it either. You know, it's like election interference. They They say, well, you don't have any real evidence. You won't collect it. All we're looking for is an investigation. 
and you won't do it. It's clear that there's corruption in government and on both sides. But it is also clear that if we learn that there's corruption in the church and we need to find out what is true and what is not true. And so one of the ways to do that is to go back to the beginning and the beginning is the Gospels. And the Gospels literally in the Greek or Hebrew. And so we need to look at that language. We look at the context of that language at that time and find out what they were really trying to tell us. And we'll get right into Matthew. There'll always be modifications on the webpage at Preparing You. If you want to go through these, eventually when we get the audios up, they'll all be up at Preparing You and uh, PreparingYou.com. And you'll be able to listen to the audios again there while going through the notes. And I modify the notes constantly. Constantly going back, tying different notes together, putting in different footnotes, adding in the definition of certain words. So you can just, with the click of the button, you can check the Greek or the Hebrew if you're in the Old Testament and find out what was actually being said. But... Never do this without the Holy Spirit. (laughs) So we encourage you to pray and fast before you do these studies and to not only pray and fast, but to meditate, which is a form of prayer. And then do the study. Because you need the Holy Spirit in order to figure out what it is that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus Christ, John the Baptist were trying to tell you. Because the world has been trying to tell you something different for quite a long time. Verse 1. At the time, at the same time, came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now remember back in 17, it says six days later, and actually uh, Luke says uh, maybe... You know, about, is the word that significantly means about eight days ago, which is six days is about eight days ago. They went up to this mountain and they had this strange transfiguration moment, which I could talk a lot about, but uh, it's not given to everybody to know, so I won't talk to them about it. But, uh, at least on, on the air. But... Uh, the reality is is that this was and they start out this chapter at the same time, not six days later, so it's very much a continuation of what we were just talking about, which was the tribute money and forgiveness, and what were some of the other topics that we saw there in seventeen uh of course, the transfiguration is the first part, and then he talks about um, uh, Jesus heals the boy with a demon and Jesus again foretells his own death and resurrection and then they talk about the temple tax and does Jesus owe it? And the conclusion was he didn't owe it but Peter said his master did pay it so now Jesus makes him do his yes for yes and Jesus tells him to pay it but he doesn't tell him to take the money out of his own pocket, but go down and fish. <laughs> Which this has to take over a period of time to do all this. He's got to run down and throw a hook in and catch a fish and look in his mouth, find a coin and come back and pay it. 
Why? Because Jesus owed it? No. But because somebody said they would pay it. Or that he paid it. And he said, so you, you go pay it. So that's what they did. So anyway, uh, at the same time, came the disciples under Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, when they say kingdom of heaven, they don't mean after we die. To them, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. To call Jesus the Christ is to call him the king. They're expecting Jesus to set up a government. And we know Jesus sets up a government. That's, it amazes me. You know a lot of the modern Christians don't get the gospel because they think, well, Jesus postponed the government. He didn't set it up. He, he did set it up. He told the apostles, I appoint unto you a kingdom, but it's not going to be like the kingdoms of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other. But it has a daily ministration, has a system of social welfare to take care of the needy of society, and we call that pure religion. This is one of the major tasks of government. But it's not like a government of the Gentiles. He's told not to be like the governments of the Gentiles, but it's still a government. It's a government that is of the people, for the people, and by the people. But it operates by faith, hope, and charity. But it's a government at hand. And there are ministers appointed to it. But it's not of the world. It's separate from the world, which is the constitutional order and systems of government. But they're asking, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You know, like which of us? You know, like the Zebedee brothers. You know, wanting to know who's going to sit on the right hand? Who's going to sit on the left hand? Who's going to be in charge? Who's going to exercise authority? And they ask, who's the Megas? You know, or Mezion is, is what we see actually in the text from the word Megas, which means great. And they're asking, who's greater? Who is, you know, the guy with the most authority? In the kingdom of God. And he's going to explain this more in the future. When he says that he is to be greatest amongst you is to be servant. That's how you determine who is greater. Is who is providing the most service. Can you imagine if you had 144 million Christians. Real Christians. Not, you know, what's posing as Christians today. But real Christians. Taking care of the needy of their society through faith, hope, and charity. You know, establishing, you know, uh, hospitals, care centers, uh, to train, sometimes just to train family members how to take care of their family members. That's what you should be doing in, uh, a, you know, what you call a care home. It, it's teaching people how to care, which is why, you know, if you go to the Bohemian, Bohemian Grove, they have a play that is killing care. They want to kill care. They don't want you to care about your neighbor. They don't have to care about you. don't have to care for your parents. You don't have to care for your children. You send your children to the public school. You send your parents to the old folks home and Medicare and Medicaid will take care of them. You don't have to care about anybody. Just care about yourself. Now you see why legal charity breeds sociopaths and narcissists. It breeds them. It creates them. 
And Polybius calls them perfect savages. Because you don't have to practice caring. But that's bad. That's going to degenerate you as a society. So they're asking who is greatest amongst you. And of course Christ will explain later that it's those amongst you who don't want to have power over the others. Don't want to say, when are you going to do this? You said you were going to do it. I want it done now. Well, God doesn't want me to let it go now. Something had to play out first. I think it's played out now. <laughs> now I can go back to it. But I got a million other things that are pressing you. So everybody has to get in line. But the line, uh, God gets to cut in the line anytime. <laughs> if God suddenly says, yeah, you you do need to do this, but now you're going to need to do this. <laughs> and you can get to the other later. So I'm kind of counting on God to, you know, like, you, you also want me to do this over here. I have to move this mountain over here. Uh, if you want me to do this now, okay, but then you're going to have to move the mountain. Uh, because I can't, you know, I, I can only physically do most. The people who know me know that I'm... I, I, I'm whatever I'm doing, I'm getting stuff done. <laughs> it's just not always what they want done. So, chap, uh, verse two, and Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. Now I quandered, little child. Uh, what is the age of this little child? You know that that he's he's. Set amongst them. I think the little child is walking. And so I would suspect it's like one and a half. That, that's what I, just what I know. It's, I'll bet you it's when, when they say little child, they're, they're talking about that the Greek is paidon and uh, paidion, uh, sometimes pronounced that way. And, uh, you know, it, it's from another word, but it can mean a child or, but specifically a little child, a very young child, uh, almost an infant. I don't think it was a little swaddling clothed infant. I think it actually would stand the way he says he's setting it there in front of him. And the, the other thing is that I, I'm pretty sure it's under two years of age. And, you know, we have a thing, a common phrase in America, it's probably all over the world, is the terrible twos. When a child starts going through the terrible twos, it'll wake up screaming, it will throw temper tantrums and everything. It's developing a will of its own. It's beginning to resist control from other people and trying to assert itself into the choice-making process of mankind. And I think that the child would have to be younger than that. (laughs) Because I think that what Jesus is trying to say is this little child, you know, a little child, you know, I always joke about it, but, you know, I was born to giants. When I was a little baby, I can remember how big my dad was. How big my mom was. I was this little tiny guy I can remember way back. Infant on the, on, laying on the couch. And I could see the room all around me and people around me and everything. And I've described it to others and they, they, they 
they can't believe that because they said that. You were less than nine months old, what you're describing. <laughs> well, maybe it's a figment of my imagination, but they seem to think it was real. And, uh, but the reality is, is that to me, everybody was a giant. I was really impressed. You know, my dad had arms as thick as my body. <laughs> I was a skinny little guy. And so, and he was my giant, you know. And he could pick me up and carry me places and just amazing, fascinating. And so a child at that age is, is pretty impressed by their parents. And that's what we have to be is impressed by God. The presence of God all around us, the creation of God all around us, overwhelmed by the majesty of God. That was one of the things growing up. I've thought a lot about it recently because of conversations we've had is that everybody was amazing to me. Every human being was a fascination to me. What's going on in their mind? What's going on in their mind? What is he thinking? What is she thinking? Why are they doing that? Even when they were doing bad things, I was just, I was just stunned by why are they doing that? And my brain is trying to make excuses for them. They must, must be something wrong. They must think something is wrong. They must think something is dangerous. They must, why are they doing that? Because I, I couldn't see the evil controlling them. As they got older, it became more obvious that it was evil controlling them, which allows me to forgive them because I know that they're victims too. So the clearer everything becomes, you know what happens? The clearer everything becomes. It just gets clearer and clearer and clearer. <laughs> and so anyway, we we have to be like this little child who is is not going through its terrible twos. It's not asserting itself. It's still looking to Abba, Father. And for the, the excellency of his protection and his care and his direction and showing us everything, everything is amazing. And we're not willful yet. So we have to become, get into that state as a little child, not willful. In verse 3, and he said, verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as a, as little children. Ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Because you have to have, have that blank sheet of a little child in their heart. So that God can write upon your heart and upon your mind. You know, you watch little boys, even little girls, when daddy comes home. You know, oh, daddy's, you know, you see, you could probably see on, you know, Whatever, the, these little reels, these little video reels where it shows mommy's trying to get the baby to say mommy or, and the baby keeps saying daddy. <laughs> dada. <laughs> and, uh, everything is about dada. Dada is this huge important thing. Well, that's the big giant, you know. That's gonna pull his fascination more than the mom. I mean, he loves his mom. But dada, wow, that's impressive. And so it's that way with, you know, I love the the universe that God created, but God's got to be greater than the universe. The universe isn't greater than God. So we have to be converted as little children, blank sheets 
accepting the will of the Father. Whosoever, therefore, shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, of course, their question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, was not one of those humble questions. They wanted to know. <laughs> they wanted to be, they had their eye on that greatness, that position of greatness. But that that word humble, you know, it's actually translated humble, uh, but also a base. And to humble oneself, to bring oneself low. But it and it doesn't really mean to humiliate, but it it means to be absent of any haughtiness, uh, to accept this non-prideful position. You know, and, and a little child isn't full of pride, at least not until after the terrible twos. <laughs> so. That's important that we become that humble individual where God can write upon our hearts and upon our minds as a little child. And and that is what is great in the kingdom. But then he goes on to say in verse 5, And who shall receive one such little child in my name? So there's that in my name again. Receiveth me. Now he's talking about a little child that's letting God Right upon his heart and upon his mind. Which, of course, you know, now we have child trafficking and, and children being abused all the time. Somebody just, uh, I didn't know the guy, but I, I know the family that, you know, the, the stepson just, uh, killed his, I don't know, five, seven year old son and his wife and himself. Just killed themselves. Or he killed them all, including himself. How do we get to that point? And how do we keep from getting to that point? What can protect us? Well, it's that humble heart where we're humbling ourselves before the will of God. And then what does that look like? Well, it looks like people seeking the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God and not seeking the rewards of unrighteousness. But if you actually are doing that and you become that humble child, you don't want to be the guy that injures that little child, that little child of God, or goes against that little child, or cheats that little child of God. And that little child of God is going to depend upon the giant to protect him. He's not going to try to do it himself. And he, like he says, who shall receive one such little child in my name, receiveth me. So you have to receive it in God's name, in his character. But then he goes on in verse 6, but whoso shall offend one of these little ones, these little ones that are the child of God, that have humbled themselves before God and accepted God as their personal giant. One of these little ones which believes in me. It's not just that they're a little one. I mean, obviously we shouldn't be hurting little children. But there's another factor. If it's one of these little ones that believes in the real God, not an imaginary God, but the real God, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged around his neck and that we were drowned in the depths of the sea. If you had a millstone, that's a, you know, grinds grain, heavy 
rock tied around your neck. It would just take you to the bottom of the ocean like a rifle shot. You'd just be zooming down. Because if you go against... And and this is what Christians really... This is a part that the Christians will pay and, and provide. They will serve. If If they're real Christians, they're coming in the name of Christ. That when men come against them, they will set a precedent that we see with the early Christians, uh, that we saw with Pharaoh. Pharaoh destroyed because Pharaoh came against the followers, not all the followers of Moses, but there were enough followers of Moses. When you came against them, God would intervene. This is what's going to play out in the days ahead. But it's important that people realize that you know most Christians are the many Christians that Christ talks about that are not doing what Christ taught. They think they are. But they're actually workers of iniquity. And if they come against real Christians, which are hard to find so that most people are safe, <laughs> uh, that would be better that a millstone would put around your neck because it will, it will bring the wrath of God. It will bring destruction. So that's kind of a warning. But I'm also explaining to those who have ears to hear how it works. So in verse 7 we see, Woe unto the world, and the word world there is constitutional order or system of government, because of offenses. Now this is directly following what we just said. Offenses, so what offenses is he talking about? Offenses against those little childlike believers. Now, they're childlike in the fact that they're childs to God. They may not seem to be a child to you at all. They may look like, you know, six foot eight football player and an, an, an imposing force. But their heart is childlike to God. And they are believers in the name of God, the real character of God. And so, one of the elements is that they're not going to try to exercise authority over others. They're not going to try to take away the rights of others. They're not going to be content with um, living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others. They're just not going to do that. Because people who do that are not coming in the name of God. In the name of the Father. But... He goes right into verse 7 and says, Woe unto the world because of offenses. Who's he talking about? Just what he just said there. If you go up there to, But who shall offend one of these little ones? And now he's talking about because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come. And woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. So he says it needs that offenses will come. See, the whole story of the Pharaoh and the Egyptians is that Moses was going in there. Moses had the right to rule as uh, sitting in the seat of Pharaoh. He was the rightful heir to the throne of Pharaoh. But he didn't want the throne of Pharaoh. Just like as Gideon said, I and my family will not rule over you. But 
God heard the cries of the people and wanted Moses to go back and get the people out. So he went back and he told the Pharaoh. Pharaoh knew who he was. And we've already explained this. Go our study on Exodus and find out who the Pharaoh was and why the Pharaoh was concerned about this. But he, he was saying, you keep the stuff. I want the people. Same as Abraham. He says, and Abraham wanted the people, but he didn't want to make slaves of them. He wanted to set them free. If they wanted to go back and be slaves in Sodom, they could do that. But he wasn't going to take any of, because the deal was you take, you can take the stuff, but give me back the people. So they will be subject citizens in my Sodom again. And Moses, uh, Abraham said, I, I won't take anything. And Moses wasn't going to take anything either. He said, just let the people go. And he, at first he said, well, you can take the guys, but you don't take the women and children. And he says, no, well, they got to go too. And of course, the Pharaoh, he kept, everything kept saying, kept hardening the heart of the Pharaoh. And eventually, the Pharaoh, you know, the things got worse and worse. And eventually the Pharaoh said, go. So now he had a contractual right to take the people and go. And they didn't belong to the Pharaoh anymore. He had no claim on them whatsoever. But then he tried to come back and attack them. And now, God can intervene. This is the same way it's going to be for us. This is the same principle going to apply. We see it with Abraham. We see it with Moses. Other people will come in and play their roles too. Whether it's going to be, what was it? Uh, there was like hundreds of Chinese military age people coming across the border that got caught, just got caught one day. <laughs> what the heck? Why so many, you know, military age male refugees from China are coming into America? What, what is going on here? Hundreds a day get caught? And what? I don't know. I don't know. You tell me. So there, there are all kinds of, you know, the, the coffers of America are drained and our resources are drained and our, there's going to be food shortages worldwide and, uh, and nobody's doing anything about it. You know, we got the Republicans are not moral enough to see what's the problem. You've got Republicans and Democrats living in darkness. They they know Social Security is going to go bankrupt. They know that the whole country is going bankrupt. But they can't do anything about it because they live in darkness because they're not willing to see what the problem is. And I'm not fixing the old wineskin because whatever you do to fix the system, it will rot, rupture because there's so much rottenness in the system. Now, they're going to try all kinds of things. And I know people in politics, and I've said, oh, you can try this and try that, and you can get in this position. But I know that ultimately, we want to be a pawn of our father. We want to be a little child of our father. We want to go where he says to go, when he says to go there. But woe unto the world because of offenses. And not offenses against China. Not offenses against, who's the other guy? Putin. But offenses against God. And like I said, for it must needs be that offenses come. 
But woe unto that man by whom the offenses cometh. And so there you got. It's laid right out. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. Now, I'll read the next verse right away because these are connected. It says, And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. So we see everlasting fire and we see hellfire. And we see these two things that are, are, are mentioned in, in the text. But what, what do they actually mean, this, this hellfire and this eternal fire that, that he's talking about here in, in these, these few short verses? Uh, which are verses 8 and 9. And uh, that 8 and 9, you know, the difference, uh, when, it, when it says the difference, everlasting fire, the word everlasting there is actually a word that's often translated world, but it doesn't mean constitutional order and system of government. It means ail. And fire is is the Greek word for fire in both cases, but then the, the word Hell, what, what it says is actually from, uh, from a Hebrew word. Well, actually, it does have a Hebrew origin, but it's a Greek word at that particular time. But it's Gina, or Gana, uh, which has the origin of, of a Hebrew word, which has to do with the valley of Hinnom, uh, where, you know, things were, well, at this particular time that Gana, had to do with a place where rubbish was burned. Things were burned. They'd bring out garbage, kind of like a landfill, a primitive landfill, and destroy out there. And so it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, when we say hell, it doesn't necessarily mean hell that you go to after you die. It means, it, it does have to do with some sort of destruction, but it isn't necessarily talking about, you know, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So these destructions are, are real. And um, when it says everlasting, you know, we put in everlasting, but it actually is a word that means age. So for a period of time, there's going to be this very difficult hard times. This fire that burns. And, and of course, eventually Jerusalem would burn. So that you know, that they actually had to move the stones because the gold in the temple melted down between the stones. See, the fire got so hot, it actually melted the gold down in between the stones. So they had to move the stones to get at all the gold. So, yeah, the, you have to be careful because Jesus is always talking in metaphors and always talking in parables. So you don't want to turn everything into literal interpretation because you're just going to add to the confusion. But that's why I wanted to point out that, you know, he's talking about who's the greatest in the kingdom. Well, it's the one who's like a little child who is receptive to the father and not willful and probably a cute little kid standing there that just, you know, finally, where's my daddy? (laughs) And the same emotions that we see today 
And he's trying to say that you have to humble yourself. You have to be humble like a little child, but for the purposes of Christ. And those who come against them, they're going to get themselves in a lot of trouble, a woe of trouble. But he says, yet offenses must come. And of course, he's he's talking about the persecutions that were to come. But he's also talking about cutting off stuff. Are we really supposed to cut off limbs and pluck out our eyeballs? No, these are metaphors. And, you know, like today, I, I would say that, you know, thine eye offend thee. Uh, you, I could translate that into modern language today. If you've been watching CNN for your news source, pluck it out. Because <laughs> they're, they're not going to see the truth. They're not going to share the truth with you. And if they saw it, they would keep it from you. If you're depending on fact checkers on Facebook, pluck it out. Because <laughs> they're just going to lead you into deception. Now, we we can take it, you know, down home or, you know, like your ministers. Your ministers want to tell you that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through government. Any minister is saying that, I don't care if he's the Pope. Or he's Billy Graham. Or, you know, I can't think of the others. (laughs) But you know all their names. Uh, If they're telling you that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through government, uh, well, it's not. If it's okay, you believe, but don't serve your fellow man. No, you don't believe. You're, you're You're not believing in Christ. Christ came to serve. He didn't come just to think a thought. He came to serve. So if you're coming in his name, you're coming together to serve. So if there are people amongst you that are trying to tell you, no, you don't have to do anything. You just believe and you're automatically saved. And every time you suggest, well, let's go and help these. Oh, well, you're just worried about works. Somebody was suggesting that he he wanted to see the original text of the Bible because he didn't think that they had translated it right. And of course, there's all kinds of translations. And some people came back and said, you know, the King James is inspired and that's all you need. Well, I'll lay you odds. A 10-minute conversation with me, I could prove that the guy is doing the opposite of what Christ said to do. I, the odds in my favor. I don't know the guy and it doesn't matter. We're not going to get the opportunity. But maybe he's listening. You think that everybody who believes in the King James is the divine word of God are doing what God said? Or what Christ taught. Christ himself said that many would come in my name. Say and think that they are doing things in his name. But they're actually workers of inequity. They're not doing things in his name. And they may be using Yeshua. And they may be using you know, Yahweh. But that's not his name. That's just the letters of a name that we use to identify him. And we know the letters kill it. Only the Spirit giveth life. So the question is, do, do, does what you believe, is it in accordance with the Spirit that we see manifested in the life of Christ? Because if you're not doing what Christ said, you're not a follower of Christ. That's pretty simple. So he said the same thing about the eyes and, and this hellfire, this, which isn't everlasting, but age of fire, a period of fire, uh, a garbage dump of fire. Now you can put hell there and then you can read Dante's Inferno and think that hell is all the, you know, flames and pitchforks and all this kind of stuff like Dante uh, makes appear in his book. 
which I read years ago. <laughs> Jeez, how long ago was that? I mean, it, it was a long time ago. It's it's getting closer to three quarters of a century ago. <laughs> I can still remember the pictures, and I can remember the words to some degree. They were in Latin, but I can remember. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I remember that day. That was a day, but it wasn't that book that made it important. But that day, I was reading that book. But you've heard those stories. But verse 10, take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. So, angels... And, and, you know, I put in the Greek word there for angel, angelos, which has to do with, you know, it is translated, you know, angel, uh, probably 179. It's translated messenger at least seven times. But it can mean a messenger, an envoy, etc. And uh, there's, but, you know... Uh, you you can take a look at the word, but the reality is that I, you know I do believe that there are such things as angels. Uh, but now that and back to what we said at the beginning of the show, that I say the word angel, and you've got a picture in your head of uh, some sort of winged guy with long robes and maybe long hair and all that stuff. I don't know that they have any of that. I don't know if that's an accurate picture at all. But I do believe that in my father's house there are many mansions and that there are many realms of existence and I believe that in those existing realms there are angels and demons or you know you can call them you know I mean all the devil is is a fallen angel an angel that doesn't do according to the will of the father rebelled against him and it was only about a third of the angels that supposedly rebelled so I guess there's two thirds still out there and in the uh, chapter Heaven versus Heaven in the Covenants of the Gods, the one thing I, I impress is that the kingdom of God is a busy place. Everybody's got something to do. Never a dull moment. And so that, you know, I believe that there are angels out there. I've never seen one. I, I know people that say they have seen them. And I I know they say they've seen them, but I can't. I can't say that that's true. But somehow or other, Jesus is equating this idea of these uh, agelos, these uh, angels, these messengers, as playing some sort of factor. He says, Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels, those little ones have angels, do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. Now, we just talked about the transfiguration in the previous chapter, and the transfiguration, whatever that means, that's a word that we we apply to this particular event, that Jesus is supposedly communicating with these other people, Moses and Elijah, where his face is glowing like the sun and his garments are glowing and they're they're tapped into what, like I, I mentioned, the, James refers to the father of light. And, and light is an energy. And, and I briefly talked about how Genesis said that there was light and there was darkness and God separated the darkness from the light. 
which is means that we're talking about a metaphor here because darkness doesn't exist. Darkness is the absence of light. But what they're saying is that God allows for the darkness. Just the same as he allows you to go and elect King Saul. Even though they tells you, if you elect King Saul, he'll take and take and take and take and take. And what he's taking is the tribute. If you elect, you know, if you elect uh, Biden, he's taken and taken and taken. Uh, I mean, Trump was in for four years. Uh, I'm not criticizing these people, but... The amount the government spent went up. The debt went up under Trump. I'm not picking on them. I'm just saying it's not going to change. You know, it might slow down the process. He might do some good things and you can elect whoever you want. I'm I'm not interested in that. I know your salvation is only if you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. doesn't mean you can't do other things. But... The solution is doing what Christ is telling us to do. And it was the solution for the Christians at the time. They survived the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. They thrived during it. I can't say the same for most modern Christians because they're not doing what the early church did. But this whole idea so far in this whole chapter, which is a continuation at the same time as the chapter before, he's telling us That if you're going to be in the kingdom, you have to be like a little child, receptive to the Father, following the will of the Father. He's going to say this over and over again throughout the gospel. And that if you bless those that are doing that, you'll be blessed. And if you curse those that are doing that, you'll be cursed. More so than if you just did it to somebody else. But if you do it to one of his little ones... This is a theme that comes up over and over again. It wasn't that the Pharaoh attacked the Israelites that got all his men drowned. It's he attacked some of the people that were actually genuinely following God. And God extended his protection to all those people that would walk with them. Now, that principle is explaining what I started talking about. Somebody who was looking for a congregation that was not just online. That was active. I said, I'm active. He was looking for a community, not a congregation. He used the word community. I said, I'm active and I live in a community. Most of our community doesn't really follow what his holy church is teaching. They don't gather and contribute to us regularly. But as we'll see in Matthew, Jesus, when they said, well, should we stop them? Are they outside? And he says, no, if they're not against us, they're with us. And in the days to come, we have to remember that. Because the Egyptians left with the Israelites, went with them. We don't hear them causing trouble. Dathan was causing trouble. Korah was causing trouble. Now, there might have been Egyptians amongst them. But it, it, it looks like, you know, this is what you have to understand. The kingdom of God is composed of congregations of families. That work together for the purposes of Christ. But your congregation is not your comforter. The Holy Spirit is your comforter. 
As a matter of fact, your congregation may at times be very uncomfortable. But that's the part of our process of learning to be as that little child. Where we give the right to choose to other people. It's a free assembly. It's not an unincorporated association. It's a free assembly. Now we've explained in great detail what that means. But just give it some ponder. Give it some thought. So... Now, continuing, this is still part of the same chapter, same same continuous line of thought. You know, I put this in sections. We're still in the same continuous line of thought. He says, for the Son of Man. See, just starting it out with the words, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. So, this takes us back to the, the purpose of your congregation is not to find a comfortable congregation, but to save that which was lost. To find that which was lost. Now, there's a lot of people out there lost. And there's a lot of people out there that have been sheep. We know that from what we just saw with COVID. But they're not his sheep. And how do you know his sheep? Because they hear his voice. Because they do not offend his little ones. They care about others. You know, when you do it to the least of my brethren, you do it also to me. They will see something in the brethren. They say, well, you know, I'm not against that guy. Uh, I I may go to this church over here. I may be a Seventh-day Adventist. I might be a Catholic. I might be a Protestant, uh, you know, Methodist, Lutheran, whatever. But that guy, you know, I will defend him. Ah, there will be blessings for him. There's blessing for him right now in this world. He doesn't have to die to get him. And, And that's part of the plan. So even though the church may have only been about 5%, it affected the lives of probably 55% of the Roman Empire. Some to a greater or lesser degree. And that is, that is the purpose. Christ didn't come to save your congregation. He came to save that the whole world might be saved. Didn't mean the whole world would be saved, but he came that they might be saved. So our congregations have to be for that purpose. We're not isolating ourselves as is the custom of some. How think ye, if a man have a hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if so, be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more than that sheep, than of the ninety and nine, which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father, which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. Now, God doesn't want anybody to perish. But those that would hear his voice, he doesn't want them to perish especially. 
And he doesn't want anybody going against them. And since you don't know who will hear his voice, if you're excluding people because, you know, they didn't use the right adjective or they didn't use the right pronoun or they didn't use the right spelling of a particular word like the name of Jesus, you're, you're dangerously uh, susceptible to giving offense to one of those little ones. Because you may not know who they are. Because we're all coming out of the darkness. But now we get into verse 15. Is that? Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault. So if somebody does something that offends you, I mean, hopefully it's not just embarrassingly offending, but he's actually trespassed. He's actually somehow done damage. Okay. I get it. You know, offended. Because that is a word that is translated offended at least once. But it actually means to sin, to trespass, to be without a share in something, to miss the mark, to err by mistake. So it's a serious offense. It's not just to use the wrong pronoun. (laughs) Okay. Uh, but it's a, a serious offense and against you. Uh, so that you have this fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, say so you go to him and tell him the fault, you know, what he's done wrong. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. And guys do this all the time, you know. They they jostle, they they... They they may even have a fight, and then they get over it. And some people find that very difficult to understand, but that is a very real thing. So, you know, be outspoken. If you think somebody's done something wrong, go tell them. And hear his side. Listen to his side. And then maybe he'll say, okay, you know, maybe I was a little bit out of line. And chances are you won't do a good job of bringing it to him. Hopefully, look at your own fault, the beam in your own eye, and see if you can get better and better at confronting him. Or just forgive him. Unless he starts to make a habit out of it, then you you need to bring it to his attention that, you know, you're making a habit out of doing that. <laughs> Shouldn't be doing that. But then it goes on to say in verse 16, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more. Then in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Everything that you're saying. You you bring, like, you know, you said this cow was five years old. It's clearly nine years old. You lied to me about this. I paid way too much for this cow. (laughs) Uh, you, You need to make this right. Uh, because you you misrepresented what you sold me. And he could say, no, I don't want to do it. Well, then you go get more witnesses. Yeah, we looked in the mouth and we looked at this cow. And Steve here remembers when you had this back when there was the big flood. And that was nine years ago. So, yeah, that that cow, if you told him it was three years old, that's not true. And you need to make amends. Well, he may still not hear you. you know, even with the witnesses. But this is how the 
the legal system in the kingdom of God works. And so, in verse 17, he says, If he shall neglect to hear them and you now, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him go unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. A heathen man and a publican. That's like he's an outsider. What you just saw there is an explanation of stoning. Because when you went to the church, you remember, a lot of people think, well, well, you just go to all the other people in our congregation. No. You already did that when you took two or more witnesses because you could have taken three witnesses, five witnesses, ten witnesses. You could take the whole congregation. You still haven't taken it to the church. Because the church are the called out. This is one of the big problems with translations. Is we, when, when I, you know, like I said earlier, you know, I say the word church, you, you're thinking a particular thing. But the church is the called out. So you take it to the called out. What is the called out's job? Rightly dividing the bread from house to house. They're in charge of the redistribution of wealth in the kingdom of God. Just like those other temples we talked about this morning. The Parthenon and the Temple of Diane and all these. They're about redistribution of wealth. But they, their ministers exercise authority. The ministers of the church established by Christ do not. They have authority over what you give them, but you have the total right in giving or not giving. Sacrificing or not sacrificing. But they are the social welfare system of your community. Of Christians. The, the other people may have their own social welfare system, but you're... Social welfare system is the church because you practice pure religion and you do not have covetous practices amongst you. So if you're a Christian, you're not going to men who exercise authority to get benefits. You're going to men who exercise love and service if you need help. And the only way they can keep helping you is that other people support them. That's the church. That's the church's job. That's what they were doing in the first century. Now, people say, oh, we don't need church anymore. We don't need church anymore. Uh, because all I have to do is believe. But if you need a benefit, if you need somebody to take care of Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, all these benefits, you go to men who exercise authority one over the other. And Jesus said it was not to be that way with his followers. But it is that way with you. That is just such a... You know, but you tell this to most people, they're not going to hear this. They're not going to want to hear it. But if you take it to the church and the church says, you know, I can't, I can't right, rightfully give to you, take care of you in this hour of need, because you cheated your brother. You, you need to make amends to that. Because I have to treat you like a heathen and, and literally send you to the publicans. Who are going to take and take and take and take and take. So you're out because you won't do right by your neighbor. Now if your complaint is he didn't use the right pronoun, we're probably not going to stone him. Because <laughs> stoning again was not hitting you with rocks. It was telling the stones of the altar, this guy is a reprobate. 
we don't want to support him with our charity. And he'll look at the case and he'll decide accordingly, hopefully. So, if you don't understand this, you don't understand the kingdom. If you think you can go to the men who exercise authority and still pretend to be a follower of Christ who said you're not to go to the men who exercise authority, I don't know what you think you're doing. Because you're not following Christ. Uh, you might be following the Pope or you might be following Billy Graham or you might be following some of these other preachers. But you're not doing what Christ said. And Christ only told you what the Father said. And we know the Father says not to covet thy neighbor's goods. But you're mixed up in a covetous practice of coveting your neighbor's goods to the government. And such welfare, according to David, is a snare and a trap. It runs towards death, according to Proverbs. So you tell me, how do you think you're a Christian? But, alas, now we will look at the keys to the kingdom. You want to go to the kingdom... We know how to get away from the kingdom. <laughs> don't be like a little child. You know, cheat your neighbor. When he brings it to you, don't listen to him. When the church comes to you, don't listen to them. Just keep the money and he can have the old cow. And that's how to get away from the kingdom. Covet your neighbor's goods. That will make the word of God to none effect. That will not draw you near the kingdom of God. It will not draw you near the light. It will drag you into the darkness. Kick you into the pit. But in verse 18 it says, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Who's he talking to? He's not talking to Peter. He's not giving the keys to the kingdom to Peter. But this is what he said to Peter when he says, I will give to you the keys of the kingdom. He's repeating that same phrase that he said to Peter. But he's not talking to Peter now. He's talking to all these people who are asking him questions about how do we handle this? Who is greatest amongst us in the kingdom? Well, evidently it's those who Loosen things and bind things on earth. See, if you do a favor for somebody like the Band of Brothers, in the movie Band of Brothers, they're, they're risking their life for one another all the time. And they're binding one another to one another because social bonds are a way of binding a society together. And that, that's, you do that through charity and through love. And people say, like, yeah, he was there for me. I'm not going to abandon him. He says, yeah, but the ship is sinking. Yeah, but I'm going back to get him because he would have come back and got me. Because he's bound by his conscience. His conscience is not seared. He's bound by his conscience to be there for his neighbor. In hard times, we're going to get a lot of opportunity to find out whether we can measure up to that ideal. Because what we bound on earth is bound in heaven and the means and the method of that binding are absolutely essential to the strength of those bonds. And also what we loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Well, how do we loose things? If you don't forgive somebody, you're bound to that person by your anger. If you forgive them, you loosen that. 
and you loosen them, you you set them free. You you don't hold them to some like I paid in, you have to pay me kind of thing. You say I forgive it, and we're going to see how he takes this to to that same level that he he forgives. That's this is all the same thing. So he just repeated the keys to the kingdom. I will give unto you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loose in heaven. He just said it again. He's not talking to Peter. He's not pointing Peter to be the Pope. He is telling everybody, these are the keys to the kingdom. And that's why I wrote the book Covenants of the Gods to show you all the ways in which you bind one another. And you yourself are bound. Because you chose to bind your neighbor to a system of social welfare, of forced offerings, of legal charity. And so you were bound in the same system. And that's why you're back in the bondage of Egypt. Yeah, exactly the way Peter said. The covetous practice is you would be made merchandise. Which is exactly why Revelation talks about the traveling merchants of the earth having a full stock, including men and slaves and souls of men. This is because men went back into the bondage of Egypt. Every single country in the world, the people, are in a bondage in almost every single case. Every single person is in a bondage worse than that of the bondage of Egypt. Because they owe more than 20% of what they produce in a given year to the governments. And the governments are all in debt. And they are all surety for the pledges of the governments. Because of the governments you set up. This all took place while the Pope was sitting on a golden throne in Rome. This all took place while the Protestants were bashing the Pope in Rome. And saying that they believed in Jesus. All this took place while all these churches, all these people were going to churches. There's a lot more people going to churches back then when uh, Social Security was set up, even though Social Security is identical to the system of Corbin set up by Herod and the Pharisees. You know, it's guys are going to come and force your offering. It's going to go to the temple, and the temple's going to take care of your parents and cause you... Yeah, a lot of sons are going to do no more for their parents because he said, well, I gave at the temple and the temple will take care of you. The government will take care of you. So that I don't have to do any more for my parents because they got Medicare, they got Medicaid. I don't have anybody paying for all that stuff. Uh, they got a social security check coming in. I, I, I don't have to take care of my parents. Which is again, not only did they make a covenant with other ruling judges, not only were they coveting their neighbor's goods, not only were they, uh, you know, making other men ruling judges over them and going into the bondage of Egypt again, where 20, 30, 40% of their labor could be taken away from them through taxation, which is what the bondage of Egypt was. But at the same time, they were professing to be Christians and followers of Christ. Yet, because they desired the rewards of unrighteousness, of, of forced offerings, they, they went back into the bondage of Egypt because they were willing to put their own brothers into servitude to them so that they could get benefits. They themselves went into servitude. It's, it's right there in front of you. Yet people have a hard time 
accepting it. Because that would mean that what I believe about my church is not true. And my church is my God. I'm a respecter of person. So my my preacher is my guide. He may be blind to the gospel and the fullness of the gospel. But he's my guide. So I will follow him all the way into the ditch. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> and he, it goes on in verse 19. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Now he says, two of you. Now he's talking about people that are seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not seeking their own selfish righteousness and their own personal interpretation of the Bible. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, this is a further explanation of who he's talking about, if two of you shall agree. He's talking about two or three are gathered. This is who are are agreeing, are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst of them. And we already saw up here, I'll put a footnote down there so everybody can find it. Because I got it linked in a lot of places. My name. Matthew 24, 5. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. So he's talking about many deceivers, many being deceived. Claiming to be in his name, but are not. So how do we know if we're actually coming in his name or we're just deceived or self-deceived even? Well, Mark 9, 37, whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. Such children. He's talking about specific children and this is the same ones we just saw in Matthew. Receiveth me and whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. So that by the same token, those who reject those such children that come in his name are also rejecting God. And when there's, like I say, numerous parables that we could quote to, maybe I ought to put that in the footnote where you can go look at the other parables that are associated with that. But you can do a little bit of homework on your own. Mark thirteen six. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. That's just a continuation of what we saw in Mark 24, 5. Note 21, 8. And he said, Take heed that ye be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and in the time draweth near, go ye not thereafter them. Well, unfortunately, a lot of people have already gone after them. And they these people who say that they're preaching Christ, but don't want to tell the people, you know, you shouldn't be coveting your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority, but instead you should be doing what the early church did, would be practicing pure religion, but... Instead, I let you practice covetous practices that have brought you all back into the bondage of Egypt, cursed your children with millions and billions of dollars worth of debt, and you've done all this, but you you came to my church, tied to me, and sang songs, and I made you feel good, so it's all worth it, right? No, 
It's not worth it. Because amongst some of those that you've been deceiving were probably some of those little ones who would have heard Christ had you spoken the truth, but they whisper the truth or don't say it at all or don't want people to come to their church and speak the truth. They don't want the truth spoken because somebody might get upset. Somebody might get offended. So instead, you choose to offend God. So instead, you choose to offend the little ones of God who have humbled themselves before God and say, I can't tell you what's what. I just tell you what God has shared with me. I I can't tell you what to do. I can't make you do stuff. I can try to serve you, but I have to serve you according to the... Because I belong to Christ. i got to serve you according to what Christ is. If I didn't functionally do something when you wanted it done, get used to disappointment. (laughs) Because I serve God first. And I want you to serve God first. If God made me hesitate, it was so that you could see something you couldn't see at that time. Now, I don't know why you couldn't see it at that time. Maybe God wasn't ready to show it to you. Maybe God is trying to humble your own heart so you can be one of those little ones. God is always humbling us (laughs) on a regular basis. A good father will do that. But anyway, there's lots of, you know, John 14, 26. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. Not me. I ain't your comforter. Not like these other preachers who are going to tickle your ears. I'm not in the ear tickling business. I'm not your comforter. But the Holy Ghost whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you. That's Jesus speaking. That the Holy Spirit will bring it into remembrance. If you want to remember, if you're willing to see the light, if you're willing to humble yourself, God will start to show you. The The journey seeking the kingdom should be a peaceful one. The rest of the world may be in commotion all around you. <laughs> what was that old Irish saying? If you're able to keep your head while everybody else is losing theirs, you probably don't know what's going on. Well, maybe we should change that a little bit and make more sense. It's an Irish saying. If you're able to stay at peace while everybody else is full of confusion and commotion, you probably don't understand the ways of wickedness. Now, to understand is to agree with. That's what it means. If you don't understand the ways of wickedness, you don't agree with wickedness. And therefore, when wickedness comes about, it doesn't sweep you off your feet. It doesn't deceive you. It doesn't carry you away with its own self-motivation. But you remain at peace. I'm not saying that there isn't hard times in seeking the kingdom of God, because there certainly are. Life is full of struggles. But if you're going to do it in His name... You have to treat everybody with the opportunity of making their own choices. I've seen people come that say that they're following us and that they are following the ways of Christ and they are far from Him. But I let them say what they say and 
then I pray that God turns up the power of the Holy Spirit and it will often drive them away. And it will drive them away angry and resentful because they don't, they will not accept the fullness of the gospel. And if you don't accept the fullness of the gospel, the gospel you accept is a lie. Acts 9.15 But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And God will have those that he's talking about, Paul. And, uh, was it Ananias? Uh, he was sending them to help cure Paul's blindness. Because Paul was a chosen vessel for God, for delivery to the Gentiles, but also to the Jew and to kingdom. And it says to the children of Israel, and those were probably the children of Israel that were outside of Judea that didn't even consider themselves Jews anymore. They might have still thought of themselves as Israelites, descendants of Israelites. But they weren't a part of the temple system of Herod. They were spread all over Europe. They were the lost tribes. And of course, what was Jesus just talking about is the lost sheep, <laughs> of which there are many out there. So he's, it's, he's not talking to Peter when he said all this. He was talking to wherever two or more gather together, that what they bind on earth is bound in heaven and what they loose on earth is loose in heaven and that is the keys to the kingdom. Because as you judge, so shall you be judged. If you judge to make slaves of others, you will become a slave. If you, if you, if you judge it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods, your neighbor will covet your goods and you got a lot more neighbors and they'll be taken and taken and taken and taken. If you decide that it's okay to elect a king who will take and take and take and take for your benefit when you cry out because he's taking too much God will not hear you I mean this is a theme throughout the entire Bible Bible and all the prophets I'm just shocked that people can't get it but I'm not surprised I'm just shocked (laughs) because if you live in darkness you're not going to get it if you're starting to get it let the light in Keep seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then Peter asks Jesus. It says, then came Peter to him and said, because Peter's now coming to him. So all that wasn't to Peter. And said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? But 22 says, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. It would have been easier to read in the Greek. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, uh, the this idea, because you could say, I say unto thee not seven times. You could put it that way. It's a little bit more of the way English would say it. But until seventy times seven. So a lot, because seven is is one of those multiple numbers that it almost gets to the point of infinite, that, that just goes on and on. But even God says, I will not persevere with you forever. And even though you forgive somebody, you know, maybe stole 
money out of the cash register, you know, and everything. And you forgave him and you let him have his job and all this stuff. And then he stole again out of the cash register. You might want to remove the temptation. He's going to have to clean up in the yard or stick to the grill. Take him away from the... (laughs) Take him away from the uh, till. Because it's too much temptation for him. And that's it is that way with a lot of things. It's just too much temptation for people. So don't don't you know, I mean don't don't ask an alcoholic to be a bartender until he's ready. And the fact is is that this is one of the reasons why I hold off on doing some things is because people aren't ready. I don't know that that is the case. I just know that I can't do this. I'm not allowed to do it. And I have to really stay close to that because we're coming in a time where you have to make choices based on almost no facts. And, and I was explaining this to somebody the other day. A lot of times we may listen, especially when we're younger, we'll listen to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will say, don't do that. And you think, well, why can't I do that? You know, and... and you will start to rationalize reasons why you can't do that. Because you, you want to follow this gut instinct, this intuitive knowing, this revelation of the heart that I shouldn't do that. But if you just tell people, I can't do that because God won't let me do that, then they'll, they'll look at you funny. So you say, I can't do that because logically, and you give them a reason. And you use the tree of knowledge to come up with reasons to justify what the Holy Spirit told you from the tree of life. And I know people do that. It's it's not always the case, but I know that that is one of the things that people do. And, And we need to realize that. So he just talked about this forgiveness. And he just talked about the keys of the kingdom. And before that, he talks about, you know, how many times did my brother sin against me? And, of course, in that forgiveness is the loosening. And in holding people accountable, you know, going and saying, well, like, you you have this fault with me, and now I'm bringing a couple of uh, members of the congregation to point out this, and and you're holding somebody accountable. And that's very important for them. You have to do it not because you want to get paid back, but because you want them to not be a sinner. And then eventually you may have to bring it before the church, not to be vindictive, but for two reasons. One is, of course, to protect the other members of the church, to know that this guy is dishonest in the way he does business, so they all have a heads up. And you've taken due diligence to make sure that that's actually what the case is. But he persists. So now you bring it before the church. And the church knows that, you know, hey, I got bad reports about you being unfair to so-and-so and cheating them. You make that right and then you come back for help. But you're going to have to come with your hat in your hand. I don't owe you anything. Now, if Social Security doesn't care if you're a thief, you know, there are people getting Social Security that are criminals. Drug addicts, drug dealers that are collecting Social Security check too. They're millionaires collecting a Social Security check. That's one of the first things you, you'll see is that they, you know, that if you make over a certain amount, you're not gonna, cause see, once you get over 72, it doesn't matter how much you make, I think it's 72, it used to be that law. And I'm way over 72, so, 
if I was collecting Social Security, I would have, I would get it no matter what I made. I've always been poverty level for, since I started on this road to the ministry, I've, I've never made more than poverty level, level wages, but I'm very frugal with what I make. And, uh, you know, 80% of my day, 60, 70, 80% of my day is doing stuff for free for the kingdom, serving people, providing these websites, providing these programs. So we see all these different things, sinning, keys to the kingdom, forgiveness, all this stuff. And then now we come to verse 23. And this is, I'm just going to read through this cut and dry. And we can add more to it as we go. And there's actually more added to the page already. The page you're seeing, I haven't saved where I've been adding all kinds of stuff. But I won't need that because this is really kind of cut and dry. And it's one solid story. So let's get on through this story and then we'll go back and take a look at it. Therefore, is the kingdom of heaven like unto a certain king? which would take account of his servants. He's got all these servants, which isn't a bad thing. You know, it's not like they're slaves, but they're servants in his household. And that used to be very important. That individual households would have numerous servants who depended upon keeping that house. You know, if he had a lot of land, he'd have to work all the land. He couldn't do it all himself. So you'd have people working the land, and this was making them a livelihood. They would have food to eat. They would have shelter for their children, they would be raising their children, and and they work for the master of the the landlord of the property. People say, "Oh, that's feudalism." Well, folks, you're all in worse than a feudal state. You know, income tax under Tsarist Russia was only like ten percent for a serf. You know, uh, he he wasn't taxed heavily at all. He wasn't allowed to be beaten. If if things went well, there was always food. If one area, the crops had a hard time, not much rain or something, and poor crops, the czar would bring relief to those people until they got back on their feet again. It was far, 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 far more benevolent than under communism. Millions died under communism. Uh, if you actually looked at the data, under Tsarist Russia, people didn't have it that bad. I mean, life was difficult. I mean, you're, you're farming with hand implements and maybe a few animals and stuff like that. And, and you're farming in Russia, which, you know, the weather was precarious. They have droughts. They have uh, early frost. They have hailstorms. They have all those things. So life was difficult. Hard working, but you can make a good living. I mean, lots of Russians were getting born. A lot of children were living. It's far better off than they were as an Irishman under the English. Far, far better off under Tsarist Russia than just being an Irishman in Ireland at that particular time. So anyway, a certain king, which would take account of his servants, the people who lived on his land and lived in his houses and all this stuff, and he was a benevolent guy. And he took account of him. And he said, and when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. That's a huge amount. 
And he evidently been borrowing money, borrowing money, and he's not paying it back. Now, why is he not paying it back? Is he not working? Is he, is he drinking it up? What's happening to it? But he's in the hole with the master. And he says, uh, but for as much as he had not to pay, you know, he, he couldn't, he didn't have the money to pay. His Lord commanded him to be sold. And his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Which he could do. You know, because, I mean, how in the heck did he get 10,000 talents in debt? He's kind of done a dirty with his master. He's become a liability. And the liability to the master is a liability to all the other servants who are paying. So, you know, when they're telling the story to these people... They're thinking that, that that servant is a reprobate. What? Now, how in the world did he get 10,000 talents in debt to his master? That is just uh, infathomable to the people at that time to owe that much. You know, 10 talents would be a lot. 100 talents would be a tremendous amount. But 10,000, that's like astronomical figure. That, you know, he's he's got to be robbing his master somehow or other. Either slothfully or, or he's doing something wrong. And and so he's going to get sold and his whole family is going to get sold to somebody else who's not going to be as benevolent with him. And then in verse 26 it says, The servant therefore fell down and humbled himself, worshipped him and saying, Lord, have patience with me. I will pay thee all. He's saying, I will pay you all. He's not saying, I will pay you half. He's saying, I will pay you all. Have mercy. And he's taking a humble position. And what were we talking about before forgiveness? And the master, then the Lord of that servant, was moved with compassion. And he loosed him. And forgave him the debt. Forgave him the debt. He didn't say he had to pay it back. He just wiped it off. Forgave him the debt. What were we talking about? What you loose on earth (laughs) is loosed in heaven. That master will be blessed for the kindness that he offered. For the forgiveness of debt. Do you forgive debt? Are you still going around and says, I paid into Social Security. I want my money back out. Why don't you just forgive the debt? Then any money there anyway. They they can't give you a dime. Thomas Sowell says this over and over again. They can't give you a dime unless they take it away from your neighbor. So if you still want to get paid by Social Security, and I'm not faulting you for it. I'm just saying how the math works. Math matters. is that they're not going to give you anything that they don't take away from somebody else. And if that bothers you, good. It should bother you. What's the solution? Stop taking from Social Security? Well, maybe if you can afford it without starving or dying or becoming a burden to everybody else. But I can tell you this. Think differently and start seeking the kingdom of God. That matters. That matters. So start doing that for a change. But then it goes on. He's got the debt forgiven. You know, 10,000 credit. That's huge. Talents. 10,000 talents. But the same servant went out 
and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. A hundred pence. Not talents. Pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, Have patience with me and I will pay thee all. So he's saying the same thing. But he would not. It says, and he would not. But went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Verse 31. So when the fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. And this Lord, after that, he called him and said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me to. Shouldst not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors. <laughs> so we, we should look at the word tormentors. I don't have the Greek in front of me right now. Till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you. If you from your heart Forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. So, wow. So, this whole thing is, this is, you know, it says taking accounting in the kingdom. Or, uh, taking, a, taking account in the kingdom. So, now, let's put that into the perspective in real life where we're at now in the kingdom. Do you feel tormented? By your government? You see all the corruption in your government. You know, I mean, I mean, the head of the FBI, that guy just, I mean, it's just hard for me to even look at him. He just seems so dishonest. And, uh, and so many of the others you see in that government, uh, that's not my government, but that's the government of the United States. But I'm sure you can find him in Australia and everywhere. But, what we're talking about here is a corruption that goes deep down to the soul. And you want to do something about it. Well, the beam in your own eye. Have you been coveting your neighbor's goods to the men who exercise authority? Have you had just weights and measures in your dealing with other people? Well, we haven't had that in this country for, you know, going on a hundred years. What, what, what do you think's going to happen? What do you expect is going to happen? What, what could you imagine is going to happen with that uh, situation with the, the, the kingdom of God and his righteousness bearing down on you and God finds out that you are still forcing your neighbor to provide you with free education, take care of your parents, 
uh, provide you with social welfare. You know, how is God going to come? Now, what we talked about at the very beginning of this is that little child. That little vulnerable child to humble themselves before their father who art in heaven. And said, what you want, daddy, is what I want. Your will be done. Not my willful, too terrible twos, but your will be done. That's that's the one you want to go and help. That's the one you want to be. But you will help others in hopes that they will see too. Because you don't know where the lost sheep are. You know, you could be looking for the lost sheep. I found lost sheep out on the desert. They weren't mine. They come down out of the, the hills, out of the mountains. And uh, they belonged to a herd that was up there in the mountains. And somehow they got separated and they came down here. <laughs> we, we spent a lot. Of, they came near us because we had sheep. And eventually we were able to corner them and capture them. And I got a hold of the guy. I found out who had sheep up on the rim and got a hold of them. And said, we've got a couple of sheep down here. They ain't ours. But I assume they came off the mountain. He says, oh, yeah, they probably got separated and they just found their way down there. And I says, well, we've got them. And he says, well, you can just have them. I'm not going to drive all the way out there because he lived about 120 miles away. I mean, that's not how far the sheep went, but that's where he lived. And he says, I'm not going to come down and get the sheep. It's just yours. And uh, so they ended up getting incorporated. I think one of them. I don't know what happened to one of them, but uh, I think one of them got in there. So the bloodline may be still in there somewhere. But uh, we don't know who the lost sheep are. We just don't want to be one of them. We want to do what God wants us to do. Let's see. Oh, wait a minute. Somebody said, Gregory, no, Jesus often referring to himself as son of man versus son of God. Yeah. Is that a question? I guess that's not a question. Yeah, and it, you have to watch in the context in which he uses that when he talks about the Son of Man. You, and then also you should always realize that all the Israelites, all the Judeans, who, whether they were Pharisees or Sadducees, or certainly Essenes, all thought of themselves as the children of God. If they were male, they thought of themselves as the son of God. In the sense, they were sons of God. They were children of God. Not the son of God. And we have some verses coming up in here where we will see that there's, uh, they put, uh, actually, we could actually go back and look at 16. We'll see that in 16 where uh, the word the is in the Greek text, but they don't translate it. They they don't you don't see it in the translation. They just they just leave it out altogether. And it's back there when they talk about Peter. That's one example you can look at Peter when he says, "Blessed are you, Simon, because you know this, not because flesh and blood has revealed it to you." But my Father in heaven, and and they and he talks about him being a rock. And but is it him that's the rock? Thou art a rock, or is he saying that is a rock? You could say thou. You could kind of interpret it both ways, where you can say thou art a rock, 
But if you look at the actual text, it says, Peter, uh, you know, um, I also now to you say that you are Petros, Peter. And on this, the rock. There's the word actually in there, te, for the rock is actually there in the text, but they don't translate it. But he says, the rock, I will build my, the church. And of course, the word church there is ecclesia, or ecclesian in this case. And that, that word church means called out. That my called out, my the called out. And it goes on and says that the gates of Hades, Hadu, not will prevail against it. Uh, and of course, you know, like some people will see the gates of hell, but that's the other word. We talked about Guiana, uh, but this is, Hadu is the Greek word that they use there. Both of them have been translated hell. But they're different words. The author thought he'd put a different word there. They put the same English word there. <laughs> but they, they don't translate the the. They just leave it out. And then, like I say, that when it talks about uh, Peter and on this, the Petra rock, I will build my the called out. The gates, and it used a word, there's a number of different words you can translate it in gates, but uh, that one is uh, uh, Pili, of Hades, not Guiana, will not prevail against it. And it doesn't, it means that, that what it is is that the temptations that come from the dark side don't have an effect on those people who really live by faith. But we're all children of God. Even even the devil is a creation of God, but he chose to rebel against God. So there, and Jesus has a parable about that, where there were all children of God, and there are two sons, and he says, "Okay, this son says, I will do it, Father," and then he goes out, but he doesn't do it for whatever reason. He doesn't actually do what the father asked him to do. And then the other son was a little rebellious, and he says, "I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that." But then later on, his conscience gets to him, and he says, "You know, I got to go do it because Dad asked me." And um, and he goes and does it. So it's not the ones who say, "Lord, Lord," it's the ones who do with the will of the Father. That's the same thing that we see in another, you know, another place where he says, "It's not those who say, Lord, Lord,' but those who do with the will of the Father." He's he's telling us the same thing in the parable. These are repeated over and over again. These principles of being a doer of the word, not a hearer only. You know, it's not what you say, it's what you do. It's not the people who say they believe in Christ, but then do the opposite of what Christ said. But the thing with Jesus is, he always did what the Father said. And then, of course, we can create all kinds of theologies that he's the only begotten son of the Father and all this kind of stuff. And that's fine. You can do that. But yet, he is still also the Son of Man. And of course... You know, like I said, this this whole phrase where they say Son of God, that Jesus is the Son of God, and people make it like he said he was the Son of God, and that, that this is what he was, is the Son of God and everything. If you don't know 
that Caesar, if you ask 80% of the people, maybe more, but at least 80% of the people in the Roman Empire, and most of those people along the Mediterranean that were even the protectorates of the Roman Empire, because that would get into parts of North Africa, which I talk about in other places, um, you ask, who is the Son of God? They would, until Christ came along, they would say it was Caesar. Because to them, when they said, this is what I was saying at the beginning of the show, is that you say certain words. If I say, if I say idolatry, you think that, you know, most people are going to think, oh, you set up statues and you worship them. No, idolatry is covetous practices. That's what idolatry is. And why, all the way back to the golden calf. Setting up the golden calf is covetous practices because what you were doing, you were going to let your neighbor keep his gold in his purse, on his person, in his control. They were going to break off that gold and they were going to put it in a single statue to bind everybody together to protect that statue because that's where everybody's wealth was. You didn't let them have it in their own pocket and make a choice as to whether to to protect you or not. You wanted to bind their commitment to protect you by putting all their wealth into one place, which Jesus advised against and, and certainly Moses advised against. He wanted that that gold in your purse, in your pocket. But he wanted you to be bound together, but he wanted you to be bound together by a system of free will altars of charity run by the Levites who were the church in the wilderness, the called out in the wilderness, who were to provide for and take care of the needy of society based on the free will offerings that they mentioned over and over again in the Old Testament. Free will offerings of the people. Because Moses was teaching you about a government of the people for the people and by the people. And the Son of God had to dwell in the hearts of the people in order to make that come about. And who are the people? The people are the sons of man. But they only get to claim to be the son of man when they're obedient to the God who created the son of man. (laughs) Otherwise, they're devils and demons (laughs) because they rebel against God. And today, the modern church and most of the people in the modern church, and I think this is important because of not who's listening right now, but who's going to listen to this eventually. The modern churches of today the, the the people who go there are rebelling against God because they're not sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and taking care of the needy of their society through faith, hope, and charity. And they're actually going to men who exercise authority one over the other and say, please go to my neighbor's house and take away from my neighbor so that I can feel socially secure, so that I can have free stuff. You know, people talk a lot about... Uh, this was in the news yesterday. I guess I heard about it early this morning. I didn't see it in any news feeds. I had to actually look it up to see if it was true. Uh, Derek Chauvin, who was arrested and convicted by a foolish jury for killing George Floyd, who clearly knew this from the beginning. I read the autopsies reports just days after the death. They were available online. They're still available online. Our article on George Floyd shows that George Floyd killed himself by an overdose of fentanyl and other drugs. He had numerous drugs in his system. 
But he had at least three times the amount to kill a normal person in his blood, according to the toxicology. Toxicology came out a little bit later, but we have that linked on the website, so you can go read it yourself. It's not news. They talk about new evidence. It's not new evidence. It was available. A shepherd out here in the desert looked it up online, and, and you could just download it. It's a public document. And, and you can look it up. And there it is, right there. George Floyd killed himself with an overdose of drugs. Those guys should have all been acquitted. They didn't use any practice. They didn't do any damage to his neck. He asked to lay down. He didn't want to get in the car. He resisted getting in the car. They already called an ambulance within seconds after they saw that he wasn't going to get in the car. And uh, to transport him by ambulance. They were doing everything by the book. Putting the knee there on the side of his neck didn't cut off his trachea, didn't suffocate him, didn't damage anything. And it is an official practice that they're taught to do to keep a man from hurting himself if he's struggling and to keep the other officers safe. And you can see that the weight of Chauvin was on the other knee just by, you know, do a skeletal analysis of the picture. It's very clear. But if you're a bigot, and if you're a hater, you're going to blame him. Well, he just got stabbed and literally had to be resuscitated. Evidently, he had a cardiac arrest during the process. And he's expected to live. He's in the hospital. But he was killed by the cowards of America, including the jury. Some of the jury members, I know, lied to the court. When they were asked questions, they lied to the court. And that's come out now because they wanted to get on there and convict him. They had him pre-convicted in their minds. They, they were liars. But you don't have the courts of Christ. You don't have the courts of Moses. You don't have the common law courts that used to make America great. You don't have a social welfare system that used to make America great because you aren't sons of Adam. You're sons of the devil. I'm talking generally out there, the people. Because you're all engaged in covetous practices which are idolatry. That's what Colossians says. I didn't make that up. Covetousness is idolatry. Concupiscence. Wanting more and more benefits at the expense of your neighbor. Wanting to eat with a great appetite at the table of rulers who only give you what they take away from others. That's not Christian. You're not Christian if that's what you're doing. If you want to repent of that, join the network. Even if it's a, a a congregation that is just online. And online you can work together and try to find more people who will hear the gospel. And you can all become sons of man. Which is really basically sons of Adam. But if you're going to do contrary. Adam knew he did wrong. He didn't want to face it all. And he fled the light. Which is why he had to leave the garden. Because there was a light there at the tree of life. <laughs> and he fled the light. Because he didn't want to admit it. But over time, I think Adam has now admitted it. And he's the son of man. <laughs> and Jesus is the son of man. Uh, but he is also the son of God. But G- even Jesus said, ye also are sons of God. What's he talking about? We're also children of God. Daughters of God. Sons of God. We are errant sons of God. But if we repent, humble ourselves as that little child... Let the Holy Spirit enter into us. We can gather together in the name of Christ 
And then we will have the angels of God protecting us like God protected the Israelites who followed Moses down to the shores of the Red Sea with the sea at their back and all the armies of the Pharaoh coming down on them with everything they've got. So that's where we're at. (laughs) Well, we're not quite there yet, but that's where we're headed. It's a place of faith. You have to be of faith in order to go that route. Until next week, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.